We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. Just a quick intro to this video. Um, I took some feedback from some of the comments in some of my other videos that people want to see another person and to have like a discussion-based video instead of me just talking to the computer this entire time. So I did bring on a guest who'd be speaking with me about Chargers football and about, char about football in general. So I hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. I had a very special episode here today. We were joined by a very special guest. For those you who, for those who don't know, this is Stage Seth. He is the account owner of MFB Analytics on Twitter. So make sure to go check him out at MFB Analytics on Twitter. He, that account pretty much represents the Michigan Football Analytics Society, a club that we have here at the University of Michigan. Uh, they've just been a great friend and mentor to me while I've embarked on my journey to learning how to code and putting out graphs for you guys. He's been the guy that's kind of been helping me when I've had any issues. So big thank you to Thage for that and for joining us today. And we got a very special episode. Thage is going to be bringing a new perspective uh, to look at the Chargers, to look at Joe Lombardi, and to look at coverages to continue on from our topic from the last episode. And so Thage, thank you so much for being here. And let's just jump straight into it. So Thage, you want to introduce yourself? Why don't you say a little bit about you know, your favorite team, your favorite player, and ultimately like what interested you interested you the most about Brandon Staley? Mm -hmm. Yeah, first off, I just want to say I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, the work that you've been doing on the Guilty as Charged YouTube channel has been really cool. I've watched every video so far and have been really impressed with uh, all the work you guys do. So yeah, thanks again for having me. Um, so yeah, so just to start off a little bit about me, my favorite team is the Detroit Lions. Um, I grew up a huge Stafford fan. And so I was hoping that Staley would stay in LA with him this year to help the Rams win a Super Bowl. But um, the Chargers made a great hire. 
Uh, you know, as I watched the Rams defense last year, you know, it was really surprising at the end of the 2019 season when they fired Wade Phillips. And I just thought that was interesting because their defense was an above average defense and they just traded for Jalen Ramsey and stuff like that. But the, the firing really made sense once you started to hear the backstory about how McVay had his eye on Brandon Staley and how McVay was talking about how it was talking to like the same version of himself when he was talking to Staley. You know, they both understand that the pass game is what drives the NFL today. And so as a lot of defensive coordinators come into uh, games with game plans that where they want to stop the run, Staley took a whole new perspective, which was kind of passed down from Vic Bangio in uh, Chicago, where he really wanted to stop the pass and wanted to make two-on-ones in the pass game, as you've talked about, Arjun. So I just thought that was a really, really cool way to um, to attack the way that these passing offenses like the Chiefs and the Packers have been tearing up the NFL. And um, and he was able to slow down a lot of good offenses uh, last year, which was super impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great stuff. And I know, um, so right after Anthony Lynn got fired the Monday after that Week 17 Chiefs game, um, I put out an article on our Michigan Football Analytics Society website. Go check it out. It's linked to the MFB Analytics Twitter page. But I put out an article listing three head coaching candidates that I thought would fit best. And it was Dable, Arthur Smith, and Robert Sala in that order. And I knew Brandon Staley was a candidate just because I knew the Rams had the best defense in the league. But I was worried about that scheme change, you know, 4-3 to 3-4. I know Robert Sala pretty much ran a more aggressive version of Gus Bradley's cover three scheme because they were in Seattle and Jacksonville together. But once we hired Staley that, uh, I think it was the Bucks saints weekend, if I'm not mistaken, I started re reading and researching more about him. I'm like, wow, this guy's like a genius, right? And so loved the hire. Uh, loved what he did in, uh, with the Rams and the fact that he gets to just stay in LA and pretty much has a similar, maybe less talented defense in terms of like top heaviness with the Chargers, but a little more depth all around um, in terms of, especially with the linebacking group, I think it should be very fun to watch. So um, we're going to go into our first topic with Edge today, uh, which is focusing on coverages. I brought up the idea of the Ram what the Rams ran last year in terms of personnel and in terms of coverages and how efficient they were, but that's only a very small sample size because we're only looking at one team. So Dave is going to talk a little bit about coverages as a whole and what coverages are the most successful because uh, this past year, towards the end of 2020, he actually took part in a competition called the Big Data Bowl, which is sponsored by the NFL. And the Big Data Bowl gave all these participants who entered NFL tracking data, which allowed them to compile a whole bunch of graphs and data visuals so today, you want to share your screen and we can walk through your um, entry. Yep. Yeah. So the Big Data Bowl um, essentially gave us uh, coverage data. And so it was tracking data where they take a snapshot of the field every tenth of a second and they put it into a giant spreadsheet and they give it to us. So every player is moving around the field um, every tenth of a second. And so then they also provided us with um, this company called True Media Created Coverages for just week one of the um, NFL season, much like how PFF did it, where they just tried to classify it by watching the games. And so then based off that, uh, I was able to create a random forest uh, classification system using machine learning that was able to use these uh, 20 factors listed here 
to try to classify coverages, um, you know, everywhere from cover zero man to prevent zone and stuff like that. And so, yeah, we can really take a look at um, which factors, um, you know, have the strongest influence. So like where the ball is, has a strong influence, number of pass rushers, defenders in the box, and then how each player in coverage is moving as the, as the play um, goes on and stuff like that. So we can take a look at, they, they've just provided us with 2018 tracking data. So we can take a look at the 2018 tracking data. So, um, you know, cover three was the, the most common coverage uh, uh, last year, um, or sorry, in 2018. And uh, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of it. And it was, it was pretty successful. Uh, you know, as we've started to transition more from 2018 to 2020, passing offenses have gotten better. You know, total points has gone up and stuff like that because of the, the increase in passing game. So the, the aggressive cover three system is starting to falter a little bit. Uh, you know, we've seen it in Seattle and then we saw it in with the Chargers last year. So starting to play more too high, I think will start to become the norm. And so then we can look at the um, expected points added ridge for each coverage. So if you think about cover zero man, you know, there's, there's really two memorable uh, moments that, that I have associated with cover zero man. It's the Bill Belichick uh, running cover zero man with his historically great 2019 Patriots defense where they're suffocating everyone. And then it's also the, uh, you know, the, the Jets playing cover zero man against the Raiders, um, you know, in the, with 20 seconds to go in the fourth quarter of their game this past year, where they ended up letting up a, a really big touchdown because they were overly aggressive. So now, that's really, real, real quick. I want to point out, like, I'm sure every Chargers fan was like extremely mad at that situation. Cause like we were all ready to go on Twitter and clown the Raiders for like giving the Jets their first win. And then, you know, I don't know what Greg Williams is calling or if that was, a call from upstairs to, you know, tank for Trevor and the end, it didn't work, but I mean, that was just, that was tough to watch. All right. Sorry. You can continue. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that, yeah, that was really funny. Um, it was, it was a hilarious day on Twitter that day to, uh, to just see that play and everything was so funny. So, yeah, so we, we look at cover zero man here at the bottom and their, their expected points added Ridge. So if you're a defense, you want negative expected points added, because that means you're, you're moving the offense you know, back across the field. So we can see that there's a lot of plays where cover zero man um, has negative plays, but there's not much in the middle. And then there's just a super wide range of outcomes when it comes to uh, cover zero man. You can let up a big play or you can, you can make a big stop. So if we look at some of Staley's uh, two high coverages, these are outcomes here where cover two man, cover two zone and cover four zone where you kind of know what you're getting out of them. So like, which is big because when Staley sets up his defenses, he doesn't want to let up the big play in the passing game. Um, he mentioned in the article in The Athletic that he's okay if teams keep running up the middle against him. Because I mean, at most, what are you going to get? Like a, like a six, seven yard gain on a really good rush. A really good pass could go for 20, 30 yards. And that's really where the defense starts to, to falter and, and starts to let up points and stuff like that. So we can see that um, it's just a very consistent type of coverage to play cover four zone, uh, cover two zone and, and cover two man and stuff like that. And so then if we, if we look at, um, you know, what he played last year, 
it's a, it's a ton of cover four, it's a ton of cover six. Compare it to the Chargers who didn't use that at all and were just playing cover three. So it's, it's a really cool way to, to look at football and, um, and just really, really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you brought up a lot of great points there. I want uh, some of the viewers to understand you're using tracking data, right? Like the stuff that Ryan's doing on his website is amazing, right? Like, like uh, public defensive data isn't like out there for free, right? You, a lot of times you have to pay for it. It's not even out there most of the time, right? But uh, he's doing a lot of great work, but a lot of the stuff he's doing at PFF, they're taking, they're looking at film and they have to try to predict or they have to try to like classify it based on film, but you're, you use tracking data for yourself. So can you explain where you think tracking data is going to go in the future and why you think it could be a new way of assessing film and things of that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, tracking data is definitely the future of how we're going to analyze football, um, and especially in the analytics community, just because it can do a lot of what film watchers have, you know, gripes with the analytics community about, like, not actually watching the games and stuff like that. But it can, it can basically do that in these machine learning algorithms that are, that are picking up certain stuff about the game. So if we go back to the 2019 Big Data Bowl, which was essentially they gave a snapshot of when the quarterback was handing the ball off to the running back. So it's, it's a running play. And it showed how the offensive line was blocking the defensive line with tracking data. And uh, it, it, it had the participants predict how many rushing yards are an average running back would get on that play. And so that's a great way to evaluate running backs now is we can see if an average running back is getting um, four yards on this carry where there's a little bit of a hole, but there's the linebacker creeping in, let's say, you can see that on the checking data. Uh, Derrick Henry can get five yards on that rush because he gets one yard over expected per rush. So that's, that's a way you can evaluate running backs. And then this last year's big data bowl uh, was a great way to evaluate cornerbacks, um, which a lot of people put together very cool like cornerback um, evaluations and stuff like that. And so we know that the Rams have used uh, tracking data to evaluate the football speed of wide receivers in their draft process. They have essentially thrown out 40 yard dash times and are just using the college tracking data like from the senior bowl and stuff like that to evaluate how fast these players are. So when they drafted Van Jefferson last year, they saw that he was really fast on special teams at the senior bowl. So they knew that on the field, he was going to be really fast. So I, I would assume that Staley is bringing over some of those principles to the chargers um, when it comes to evaluating players and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely hope so. Uh, I know one of our beat writers asked Tom Telesco at like his post-draft press, press conference asking about or pre-draft where he was asking about like, do you value tracking data? And I think Tom Telesco said, he has all the data, but he knows it's early in the process and there could be a lot of like kinks in, inside the data. So I think he's going to, it might be like another year or two, but I mean, I'm glad that Telesco is actually you know, receiving the data and maybe even considering it. All right. So now Dave, we're going to move on from defense. We're actually going to go to offense and we're going to go to another topic you're familiar with. Our new offensive coordinator was your guys' old offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi. So without any bias, just you know, give your impressions of Lombardi, especially since you guys had him 
in that legendary 2014 season when he had like one of the league's best defenses and a really like solid, you know, skill position group for Stafford, but just didn't produce as well as you should have on offense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Joe Lombardi, um, you know, if you, if you ask people around Detroit, they're, uh, they're a little hesitant to talk about him just because, um, you know, it, it felt like what he was doing on offense kind of, kind of held them back from their true potential, uh, you know, with Calvin Johnson and, and Golden Tate on the same offense. Um, it, it just felt like a lot when you, when you were watching the Lions those two years that he was, he was trying to use screens as an extension of, as, as an extension of the running game. Um, which I don't have a particular problem with overall, but it just wasn't working out and he was very adamant on it. So you can see as like our, the early down pass frequency from 2014, 2015, um, you know, he ranked really high in the league. And then when he was fired, he ended up going to the saints who, who ranked very high in that time also. But a lot of that was just because uh, of the, of the screens that I, that I mentioned before and stuff like that. But I definitely do think that Joe Lombardi learning under Sean Payton is going to be very valuable for Justin Herbert's development because um, Sean Payton has has done you know wonders with quarterbacks and then especially someone like Drew Brees who was very smart quarterback when he played uh, will will also help Joe Lombardi with with Justin Herbert's development also. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that, and I know initially when the Lombardi signing was uh, announced on Twitter, there wasn't that much of a positive reaction from Chargers fans, especially since all the Detroit fans says, oh, great, you know, here's Justin Herbert's career, or the Ricky window's going to be wasted, um, but, and I talked about it on Twitter, I think, uh, the Lions ranked third in 2014 in screen rate, and first in 2015. Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, just just because, you know, screens can be effective and like our offensive line now is a little more athletic and, you know, Rashawn, we got Rashawn Slater to get out in space. He had like one of the highest RAS scores from this year's class. And Rashawn Slater even said um, in his press conference that the playbook is meant to, for the offensive lineman to move and to get up to the second level. So I'm, I wouldn't be too worried about too many screens, but obviously Justin Herbert and Drew Brees are two completely different quarterbacks. Drees is, Brees is the more accurate quarterback but they're still both very smart quarterbacks and I think um getting a really smart guy in Joe Lombardi who's been a quarterback's coach for years mm-hmm. should help and you know I talked about this in my first episode you know I want the early down pass frequency to go up uh, do you see that as a possibility given that Staley was a former college quarterback and you know Lombardi has been a quarterback's coach for almost like 15 years now mm-hmm. yeah so you know I've, I've read a lot about Staley and the really interesting thing about him was despite coaching on the defensive side of the ball for the last couple of years, he calls himself an offensive coach. And you can see that, like we mentioned earlier, like he, he understands it's a passing league now, which is why he played his defense as is. So I, I definitely think he will. Um, yeah. He, he'll, he'll try to increase Herbert's early down pass frequency. Then you look at, you know, the background of Anthony Lynn, he was a running backs coach, uh, you know, back in Dallas and stuff like that. That's where he got his start. And so that could be why he wanted to run the ball a lot last year. Um, and so that, that could have been his influence. And so, yeah, so now I, I do think there'll be a big jump, especially since Sean Payton has always prioritized passing the ball and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, last question about Joel Lombardi. 
Um, I know everyone's first candidate, this head coaching hire was Brian Dable, but, you know, Dable has undergone like a progression where he was a really bad offensive coordinator. He was in New England. He went to, went to Alabama. You know, he did a ride in his one year at Bama. Didn't have the best first two years in Buffalo, but that's, you could maybe attribute that to Josh Allen being super inaccurate, right? And, and then he has this massive jump. And now Dable is like the hottest head coaching hire for 2022. Do you see Joe Lombardi potentially having that Dable type resurgence where failed in his first stint, but now he's in a different place, you know, you know, really good uh, supporting cast, a really good quarterback, and he can make that jump to like elite offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You totally read my mind with Dable. I was going to mention how he progressed as offensive coordinator. And like there's other examples of offensive coordinators uh, progressing too. like, you know, if you if you look at like Eric Bieniemy, for example, um, when he was at Colorado, those offenses weren't particularly good. Um, but now that, you know, he's with Kansas City, he's leading almost the best offense every year. And like you can say how much of an influence Andy Reid has on it, which to some extent. But, you know, Biennemi is still the one that is running the offensive meetings every day and stuff like that. And then, you know, you can look at Daryl Bevel, for example, adjusting his system as an offensive coordinator uh, when he started in Seattle during the Legion of Boom days with a young Russell Wilson. Um, think about like the the bootleg action that they were running over there, you know, how much quicker Russell Wilson was. And he comes to Detroit, you know, he gets a pocket pass here in Stafford and he ends up, you know, when he had Galladay and Marvin Jones and Hawkinson all on the field together in 2019. And then the five games Galladay was healthy in 2020, that offense was really moving the ball. Like he schemed up a great offense um, and, and yeah, he'll, I'm, I'm sure he'll do well in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, so you can definitely see offensive coordinators um, progress and change their system. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what the NFL is about. It's a, you know, it's a rapidly changing league. So I, I do think Lombardi will do better in the second stint that he did in the first stint. Yeah, and I mean, that's great to hear. And uh, to wrap up our, our episode, I'm gonna ask you this final question. Um, I know Chargers fans were, you know, on that trade up for Pinay Sewell trade, I was, kind of there even though I'm against trading up just because you know the value isn't there especially for an for a non-QB but I thought he's that you know that much of a generational talent to where maybe two second rounders could be worth it from 13 to 7. My if you take out everything else you know I know there's reports the Lions were willing to trade up to four uh to get Panay Sewell mm -hmm. if you take everything out how would you you know how do you, how do you feel about that Panay Sewell pick to the Lions? Yeah, I, I felt great about it, um, you know, other than Kyle Pitts, just to have like two top 10 tight ends, which I thought would have been really cool on the same offense. He was he was really high up there for me on like my own personal big board. Um, I, you know, the I was just happy that the draft fell perfectly for the Chargers. I thought, you know, the Panthers would take a left tackle or Slater, you know, because they, they have trouble at left tackle right now and they didn't. And then, you know, he just he fell perfectly into into the Chargers lap. Um, so I was really happy about that. I'm really happy about both of the picks. And, um, you know, again, as we talk about passing league, like, you know, Rashawn Slater is as good of a pass blocker in, um, in college as you're going to get, you know, you can go back and watch that game against Chase Young, who we saw translate really well to the NFL this past year and how well of a job he did against him. And then we get to see that week one rematch uh, against Washington, which will be a lot of fun. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think Rashawn Slater is going to step in right away and be a great pass blocker and, and help out Herbert a lot there too. Yeah, that sounds great. 
So guys, that's going to wrap up the episode. Don't forget to check out Deja's Twitter account at MFB Analytics on Twitter. Uh, recently, he's actually put out his own rushing yards over expected model. Uh, it doesn't use tracking data, but I mean, he has data going all the way back to like 1999. So that's like the LT days, right? So you can see how well LT matched up against with other running backs. Spoiler alert, it isn't great. But I mean, we all know LT, he's the GOAT, right? Best running back of all time. But make sure you go check out his Twitter. He has a bunch of other graphs that, you know, if you thought my graphs are okay, like his graphs are on, an, on a next, another tier. Uh, and I'm trying to get to that level eventually. But make sure to check him out. Um, and thank you again for coming on. And uh, guys, don't forget to like and comment any topics you want me to go over. I'm going to start getting to those this month and put out some uh, videos about you know potential topics that you guys want me to talk about. And with that, as always, bolts up. <laughs>